Hey, this is Mohal Joshi from Los Angeles, California. I follow Indian foreign policy and defense with a special focus on Asia. You can follow me on Twitter at Mohal Joshi. Hey, this is Kishore Narayan from Bengaluru in India. I am an international relations expert specializing in global security, conflict resolution, and international negotiation. My focus areas include peace building and digital diplomacy. You can find me on Twitter at Veggie Diplomat. Did Narendra Modi and Xi Jinping manage to revive the now-dead, now-alive Wuhan spirit? Has New Delhi managed to drive home the point about its red lines to Beijing? Does India and China have enough modalities to work on improving their ties in the next 12 months? Is it too early to claim that Chennai Connect was a huge success without talking about tangible benefits? Hello and welcome to episode 22 of India Rising Strategic Affairs Conversations with Mohal and Kishore, a show in which we analyze the happenings from around the world and their impact on India. This week, Chinese President Xi Jinping visited the South Indian city of Chennai for an informal summit with Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi. This was the second edition of the informal summits that China and India are having, with the first one happening in 2018 April in China in the city of Wuhan, hence gaining the name Wuhan Spirit. Mohan, can you set the context for what happened at Wuhan? Yes, Kishore. So the Wuhan summit in April 2018 came post a buildup of tensions between India and China over the few preceding years and which finally culminated in the standoff in the Dolam Plateau at the India, Bhutan and Tibet Tri-Junction. Now, what however has happened that both the government's most ardent supporters and its most vocal critics have tended to read too much into that summit. Now, both sides, uh, India and China, had acknowledged that in the previous few years, uh, the relations had uh, become highly strained and they needed to sit down to talk each other. The modus vivendi of the past few decades uh, between India and China had broken down and the new CBMs, or what is referred to as confidence-building measures, needed to be undertaken. So in my opinion, this was more of a reset than anything else. However, like as you know, many critics have spoken of either the Wuhan being a massive success, sorry, a massive failure uh, due to events past the Wuhan summit or the supporters have touted it to be a, a huge success. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Mohan. So that's the exact thing that we'll uh, look at right now. So the question since uh, one year and upwards of Wuhan was that had the spirit of Wuhan actually faded away, uh, which is exactly what you were pointing out to Mohan. Uh, It is important to note that although Wuhan was uh, hailed as an ice-breaking meeting, there was no joint statement issued at all. Both China and India had issued separate statements. The Indian press release uh, at the end of the Wuhan dialogue had mooted it as a positive factor for stability amidst current global uncertainties. 
it was driven by the need to promote strategic communication, high-level interaction with the view of removing mistrust and reduce the danger of miscalculation in the wake of the Dolam incident. Before the meeting and after it, we saw a surge in the frequency of high-level ministerial and official visits between India and China and the meetings between ministers and leaders of the two countries. Now, uh, in terms of uh, the uh, important achievements from Wuhan was the strategic guidance to the two forces to maintain peace and tranquility on the border. Luckily, uh, we all know that uh, this has been a largely peaceful uh, boundary or line or whatever you want to call uh, in the past uh, four, four to five decade, decades. And it has continued to do so. Now, this has broadly ensured that peace remains and also uh, give a fillip to the military exchanges between the two sides. Those India and China were not able to do any joint project in Afghanistan, uh, which was agreed upon in Wuhan. They did manage a joint training program for Afghan diplomats. And in May of this year, China did come forward to lift its hold on the designation of Masood Azhar as a terrorist under the United Nations 1267 Committee. Again, Mohal, we have covered uh, this uh, event uh, quite in detail in one of our earlier podcasts. So uh, in the past one year, again, the two sides uh, have held their sixth strategic economic dialogue and the ninth finance dialogue. And they have continued to cooperate in multilateral mechanisms like the Russia, India, China trilateral, BRICS, Shanghai Cooperation Organization, and the G20. Yet, the climate of relations in which the Mamalapuram meeting took place was more complex and difficult than at the time of Wuhan. And we will see why. What was obvious to see prior to the Mamalapuram informal summit was the manner in which India showed resilience. It was well known that the establishment in New Delhi was emboldened by the stupendous victory in the 2019 May elections. Even when China was issuing adverse statements and making antagonistic remarks after the Indian government revoked the special status uh, of the state of Jammu and Kashmir, India did manage to push back China uh, by saying that this was an internal issue of the country and it would accept no intervention no intervention from any third party. So uh, politically, uh, from a domestic angle, uh, the Narendra Modi government came back for a second term with a, with a renewed majority. And uh, Xi Jinping is now more or less uh, the president for life in uh, China. So it is quite obvious that the two leaderships uh, will have to uh, deal with each other. There is no way that they can wish away the other person. So they will have to find uh, ways to continue talking and to take the ties forward. Now, and also on the, mm-hmm. just wanted to in, um, mention that the the initial response of China on the st- changing of the status on Article Three Seventy was quite muted. But okay. I think after uh, I think uh, Amitya mentioned uh, the words Aksai Chin, it probably raised more red flags in Beijing. And that's when the, the more vigorous uh, pushback from China started after which uh, 
the external affairs minister uh, dr jay shankar uh, clarified that we are not making any uh, additional bound uh, territory Claim. claims over the existing ones you are right yes thank you so yeah what was obvious to see prior to uh, no. uh, so uh, during the lead up to the mamalapuram summit a visit by uh, chinese foreign minister wang yi to new delhi Uh, which was to be held in the second week of september was cancelled at the last minute this visit by the foreign minister was meant to not only discuss the modalities of the mamalapuram visit but was also supposed to have been another round of the special representative talks mohan you want to uh, elaborate what uh, these uh, special representative talks are yeah so the special representatives um, have been i think uh, the process has been ongoing for uh, i forget like when exactly like the 80s or the 90s correct or the 2000s uh, it was it was after the vajpayee visit yeah so 2003 sorry so uh, the special representatives have been talking on the border issues where they uh, hold a series of i think they hold like 21 rounds of meeting right. to uh, delineate the border so that the boundary dispute which has been long running since the 50s can be amicably be resolved but as you know there's been no uh, uh, overall resolution because uh, one china has not been very forthcoming even with its claims it just likes to keep the issue running because it sees no advantage in resolving the dispute with india absolutely yeah so the chinese foreign minister Uh, who is also the special representative was expected to travel to delhi and meet the national security adviser uh, ajit doval uh, wang uh, who would have traveled after having completed a visit to pakistan officially as per the chinese foreign ministry the meeting was pushed back due to scheduling constraints from the indian side however reports in the indian press suggest that the fact that he was due to travel from pakistan was viewed in an unfavorable light as it would imply hyphenating india with pakistan uh, this is something that uh, india has been very very uh, cautious about they don't want any world leader or any uh, minister from any third party government to come from pakistan to india the same thing happened when uh, uh, mbs visited uh, pakistan <laughs> crown prince yeah he, or, what he did was to go back Uh, for just one day to yeah, VR to, and then come back mm-hmm, uh, all the mm-hmm. way again to Delhi. Yeah. So mm-hmm. uh, once Islamabad visit on September seventh and eight mentioned the Kashmir issue, it said that China opposes unilateral actions, but it also says this has a dispute left from history and should be properly and peacefully resolved based on the United Nations Charter, relevant Security Council resolutions, and bilateral agreements. India's foreign ministry, on its part, was prompt to criticize this reference to Kashmir, specifically mentioning the CPEC projects and also raising concerns about changes in the status quo in Pakistan-occupied Kashmir. At the same time, reports tell us of the first serious post-Wuhan border incident between India and Chinese troops in Ladakh uh, that week. Uh, the standoff was reportedly resolved after uh, delegation level talks but i think uh, the the good part i read was somewhere that 
that the standoff was resolved in just over a day. Mm-hmm. Now, this uh, some people have been giving, I mean, long term, we'll know what's the true story that the new mechanism that was agreed to in uh, Wuhan, where uh, they wanted a strategic communication between the armed forces of the both the nations, uh, maybe that would have held an helping hand in resolving the issue uh, sooner rather than later. Because as we've seen with uh, incursions in 2014 and uh, even later, some of these standoffs seem to have lingered for weeks before any uh, resolution, whether before the Chinese side withdrew to uh, the Tibetan side, Tibetan side of the LAC. Okay, so uh, while all this is ha- happened in early September, the second half of September saw uh, all the action shifting to New York on the sidelines of the UN General Assembly annual meeting. Uh, the External Affairs Minister uh, S. Jay Shankar, uh, recent comment at a program organized by the New York-based Council on Foreign Relations, where he said that, Considering that international affairs is a business of realism, that there are differences with China, it's not a secret. They accept it, we accept it. We have a boundary issue. We have other areas where we may not always agree. But I think today it is a very stable relationship. It's a very mature relationship. Where we differ, we have mechanisms and a sort of a, in a way, a sort of ethos of handling it. And frankly, it's a relationship that has uh, given cause for anxiety for the uh, world for many, many years, uh, end quote. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a very prudent and mature uh, statement coming from the minister, uh, Jay mm-hmm. Shankar. I think one point, if I may add, Kishore, if you allow me, mm-hmm. uh, I think while we had like, blow hard blow called relations with the Pakistanis and we have armed conflict with uh, uh, lots of casualties on there. I think one thing you need to remember that since uh, 1967, the Nathula incident, I don't think a single shot has been fired in anger across the LAC, even though it remains highly disputed and we have uh, lots of Chinese incursions over the past 50 plus years. So that's one thing to remember that it's quite a stable relationship per se. Even though the Chinese keep needling us at the border from time to time, whenever they please. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, I was just reading an article where it clearly said that while the Chinese uh, uh, do their incursions, uh, mm-hmm. also true that our uh, soldiers uh, have equal number of incursions onto the Chinese side. Mm-hmm. And it's just that uh, while our media picks it up and... Uh, and uh, mm. mention it and make a big deal yeah. about it. The Chinese media does not do the same. Yeah, so, I, I think that's a, sorry, go ahead, complete your thought. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that kind of uh, not only, uh, uh, I mean, that's both good and bad in the sense that good mm-hmm. that uh, we actually get a, uh, get an idea of what exactly is happening. If not from mm-hmm. the Chinese side, at least from the Indian perspective. Mm-hmm. But bad because uh, any small incursion is also blown out of proportion most of the time and true, uh, true. that actually uh, uh, spoils the atmosphere, spoils the environment mm-hmm. and it kind of puts a lot of pressure on the top leadership to address mm-hmm. these, uh, um, in my opinion, small issues 
rather than actually uh, mm-hmm. tackle the larger issues mohan yeah i think uh, that's a very good point see like i mean we have a dispute for our jammu and kashmir where pakistan occupies a large chunk of jammu and kashmir but at least there is a delineated line of control up to like 0.9842 beyond which it's not delineated but at least from the punjab border to 0.9842 uh, we have a delineated loc which has been agreed upon by india and pakistan i think based on the 1949 karachi agreement kishor right yeah based on the ceasefire uh, from yeah. 1949 so we have a while but see compared now that to the lac we don't even have a defined border like forget the territorial claims we don't even have a line of actual control the right. perceptions of it might vary so while i might think that okay i might patrol in this area uh if the border is not even defined how do you how does the other side has a different differing perception of whether he he is patrolling within his own area or within area that i claim to be my own so i think that's a large difference that gets overlooked many times that the lac not being a defined border versus loc being a defined border even though the territory is beyond the border would be uh, not def- uh, would be claimed by us mm-hmm. and that is why the that is why the uh, the mandate for the special representative stops is uh, actually threefold define delineate and demarcate Uh, and uh, they've been going on for uh, 21 plus rounds mm-hmm. let's see yeah, how long uh, it mm-hmm. will progress but i think the frustrating part is while we have put forth our claims mm-hmm. the chinese for some apparent reason have never put forth their claims so i guess when you when i let's say if we both are negotiating something i might put my claims and you put your claims and then you know you have to negotiate somewhere in between or one side completely gives up but if the other side doesn't even make a claim then how do you there's nothing to negotiate with right. so that's the frustrating even though the chinese keep uh, saying that there could be i think what they call is an early harvest maybe recognizing or delineating the border in certain parts maybe the central uttarakhand uh, mm. sector but and himachal but i guess um, only time will tell if uh, this early harvest that they so fondly talk about uh, will come to fruition or not right right okay let's move on Uh, so now both the countries approached the mamallapuram summit with uh, their own uh, wish lists while for india it was the trade deficit the border dispute uh, redressal mechanisms and the global fight of global fight against terror for china it was to convince india to wholeheartedly embrace the regional comprehensive economic partnership or in other words the rcep which is actually a multilateral free trade agreement uh, among the countries uh, in and around the larger uh, trans pacific region now uh, both sides have been sparring over the terms of the 16 nation rcep agreement after years of negotiations there are now serious questions about whether india wants to be a part of the pact or not at all while indian industry and government have a number of concerns with regard to rcep that need addressing chief among them is the nature of trade with china and the prospects of chinese goods flooding the indian market so in other words uh, these 16 nations comprise the asean nations japan korea uh, china australia, of course new zealand australia new zealand china of course and then india Uh, i may have left out uh, one or two here but these are the primary countries 
now the idea is that if you end up having a free trade agreement with all these countries, now China has already managed to flood India with their products. And with mm-hmm. an FTA, uh, the floodgates might open uh, even more. And mm-hmm. there would be no way that uh, the Indian local manufacturers would be able to compete with mm-hmm. the Chinese uh, products. So I think mm-hmm. that's a major, major concern for which India still does not have any answer from mm-hmm. any of the RCEP uh, negotiating uh, parties. And that's one concern for which uh, India still uh, has not wholeheartedly agreed to join the pact. Mm-hmm. Now, the problem for the others is just because India is reluctant and India is not willing to jump into the deep end of the pool, so to speak, uh, it is kind of holding back the rest of the countries uh, from uh, even agreeing on the deal and getting started. So mm-hmm. all the other countries are also kind of uh, uh, kind of getting irritated with the Indian behavior and uh, they are kind of looking at a last-ditch effort to uh, keep India on board. And if India does agree, uh, it would be good for the entire uh, region economically. If not, then uh, these nations will have to go solo without uh, India on board. Yeah, I think you brought up an excellent point. And let me latch on to the one of the last points you made. So you said like they uh, still are holding out hope that India will join. I think they see India as a large target market. Absolutely. And I think that's where the concerns of the import and exports will come in that India might not be able to, unfortunately, because we don't have a large manufacturing base and uh, to export a whole lot. So we could be uh, ending up importing not only from China, but also from the ASEAN nations, uh, Hmm. which are strong in manufacturing and also Japan, South Korea. Yeah, we already have an FTA uh, with the ASEAN nations. So there may not mm-hmm. be any major changes with mm-hmm. regards to the import from them. But Japan, South Korea, Australia, oh, New Zealand would be another, uh, uh, like, for example, there was a concern I read in an article about like dairy products being flooding into the Indian market would affecting uh, like the rural farmers who are into uh, dairy business, you know. So that I think uh, that is a concern. I think one of the articles I just read today it said that India did outline its concerns on RCEP and uh, G uh, understands that uh, we do have concerns. I'm not sure the mm-hmm. veracity of the report, but it'd be interesting to see if, uh, even if they express, understand our concerns, uh, what would be they willing to do about it, you know? Yeah, yeah, right, right. Okay, so moving on, uh, on a more uh, realistic level, Mohan, uh, can you elaborate what India and China can really cooperate on? Yeah, I think uh, like uh, there are we have several uh, divergences with China. I mean, some of which uh, Kishore touched upon earlier in the podcast. But I think there are some uh, facets in like uh, the global polity where I think India and China can look are looking to cooperate more. So there are like multilateral organizations like the BRICS, the AIIB. Uh, the New Development Bank, the IMF, and also like global issues like climate change. Now, India and China have a similar complaints about their representation in the World Bank and IMF. I mean, during the Wuhan summit, it was decided that India and China will jointly train Afghani diplomats. So, and now India and China are now planning to cooperate in training law enforcement officers and cooperate 
cooperate in protection of archaeological sites in Afghanistan. Um, and China also is like announced that it's in favor of expanding the mechanism of this uh, India-China cooperation in a third country. I mean, the details are not uh, out like on which would be the other third country where they would be uh, uh, looking to cooperate. Now, uh, China in like some official statements did mention like, and I quote that we hope that China India plus cooperation is not only restricted to Afghanistan, we will further deepen our cooperation in Afghanistan. This time President Xi will visit Nepal. We hope that the China India plus cooperation will be expanded to Nepal and we also hope that it will be cooperation will be expanded to Bhutan and court. Uh, that actually a tricky situation for India, uh, Mohal, if uh, you will agree with me. Simply because uh, when India and uh, uh, China enter into some kind of a joint partnership to develop in third countries, uh, India is known for being notoriously slow, whereas mm -hmm. uh, China is known to be super quick in completing projects before the deadline. So any attempt to enter joint partnership might imply that the Indian portion of the project is progressing at a snail's pace and might not help India's image uh, in the third country and also worldwide. Uh, one, one, uh, one popular example is mm -hmm. how India uh, took uh, five to six years to build a police training academy in, uh, in uh, Kathmandu. And then mm -hmm. uh, eventually Nepal had to uh, stop that uh, agreement with India. And then mm -hmm. the Chinese came and they built that police training academy uh, within 14-15 uh, months. And that kind of was a hard slap on the face for India. And mm -hmm. uh, it kind of held mirror to uh, India's uh, slow uh, uh, pace at uh, working on any major projects. Yeah, I think I agree there. Um... I would see more like a cooperation in like the training of the Afghani diplomat realm. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say any infrastructure building because right. one, it would be like who would give the loans. I mean, Chinese are notoriously at the debt <laughs> trap loans. Mm -hmm. Also, many of the projects, uh, Chinese like to involve their SOEs, their state-owned enterprises and like to bring over workers from China. So there would be just too many problems. So I think it would be anything minus infrastructure in terms of uh, cooperation between India and China, maybe like training diplomats or more in the soft space rather than the hard uh, infrastructure building space. I would correct. Say. Or, or even institution building for that matter. Yeah, true. That's right. correct. Okay. So Mohan, what did you think before the summit? What were the key expectations from them? I mean, uh, I mean, I think the, uh, the expectations were pretty much low key. Mm -hmm. uh, this time compared to Wuhan, because probably this has been the second round of this informal summit. Uh, I mean, there is no grand bargain in the offing uh, as a scope for give and take in uh, Mamalapuram is very low. I mean, officials on both sides uh, did work hard to project any kind of substantial outcome. I mean, there have been, there have also some speculation about some more confidence building measures to be announced post-summit. But Kishore, did you hear anything substantial from here? Any major confidence building measures? I didn't, because I didn't. Uh, no, nothing major uh, in terms of CBM. I think the only one was agreeing in principle to have some kind of a delegation level talk to address the trade deficit. 
But yeah, beyond yeah. that, there was nothing major about any symptoms. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Go on. So, Yeah so another major irritant just before the summit was that uh, for china was that india was committing a joint exercise called operation himvijay mm-hmm. so china had expressed concern about the this himvijay exercise which was underway uh, in arunachal pradesh as uh, just as uh, president ji was visiting now the chinese reaction is hardly surprising given the strategic significance of this exercise which marks the uh operationalization of uh, various elements of indian armed forces so for a very long time like uh, india hadn't not developed any infrastructure in our areas on our side of the border adjoining to tibet the reasoning was that any lack of infrastructure would slow down any chinese advances into indian territory during times of either localized incidents or war now however uh, in the meanwhile the china continued to a uh, massive upgradation of their infrastructure in the tibetan plateau so what happened is like around a decade ago like finally um india woke up and like got uh, working on the strategy that this is not a feasible strategy of just deterring china mm-hmm. from invading india because the infrastructure beyond the lse is poor so they started improving the infrastructure on our side of the border now the question remains that in an event of a land grab by the chinese by the chinese in any sector across the lac what would india's options be uh, india's armed forces will certainly put up all effort to repel the invaders at all costs however another option is to put the pressure back on china is for india to open up a front somewhere else along the lac to make an incursion into tibet i think this was seen in 1965 where uh, after the chinese uh, uh, sorry after the pakistanis in the during the 65 right. war right. Uh, in the cham sector they of uh, jammu kashmir and in around punjab they invaded uh, into indian territory so we made a, a opposite thrust in the other direction where we were, had reached the outskirts of lahore lahore yes so uh, basically to in the same vein like uh, there would be a option for india to open up a front as i said somewhere along the line of actual control to grab some land in the in tibet now once a ceasefire is called there would this would be used as a bargaining chip to go back to the status quo previous before the hostilities broke open mm-hmm. so for this very reason like a few years ago uh, india's armies like 17 core called as a mountain strike corps which is based in panagad west bengal was raised for an offensive strike into tibet so the msc is being uh, deployed in something which is new to the indian army which is called an integrated battle group uh, and this concept is being tested in arunachal pradesh uh, to practice in mountain warfare uh, to see how we could uh, operationalize and have uh, at a moments notice uh, operationalize and, and put a deep thrust into tibet if the need arose so now uh, nitin pai the director of takshashila institute has pointed out this week in an article that as for military activities during official visits china should be the last to complain in 1992 uh, beijing tested a megaton nuclear weapon when then president r venkatraman was on the first ever visit by an indian president to china in 2007 china conducted its anti satellite or asat test when 
foreign minister was on an official visit to India. And more recently in 2014, uh, the PLA carried out incursions in Chumar, even as uh, she was swinging with Modi in a Jula in Ahmedabad. Jula, sorry. So if China claims its pattern uh, during high-level visits is innocent, so is the Indian exercise Himvijay, end quote. So I think uh, Nitin has very well highlighted that this is nothing new for China to do on their own. But when India does it, probably they get upset a lot, which doesn't make sense. Agree, agree. In fact, uh, uh, you just brought out the point about the PLA incursion in Chumar and even Demchok sector. Mm-hmm. And uh, she was actually in Ahmedabad. And mm-hmm. uh, Modi was quick to point out to uh, she that uh, the PLA was yes. not uh, in sync with you or you were not in sync with the PLA's uh, mm-hmm. uh, thought and action. And uh, that way he kind of pointed out that uh, both uh, Xi and Xi's uh, uh, administration are not seeing eye to eye when it comes to the line of actual control and also Indian uh, bilateral ties per se. So I think uh, that was a good point that you brought out, uh, Mohan. Yeah, so now uh, getting back to the actual summit itself, uh, Kishore, uh, you were in uh, Mamalapuram uh, just a week ago. So can you let us know the nitty gritties of picking this South Indian port town as a location for this informal summit? Mm, Right, sure. So uh, not many people would have even heard of this uh, small town, Mamalapuram or Mahabalapuram, uh, outside of uh, South India. Now, uh, the summit was planned and executed in a deliberate way to showcase it as a success, highlighting the millennia-old ties between Mamalapuram and China, uh, having a South India-specific cuisine for dinner, exchanging thoughtfully manufactured gifts, were all meant to strengthen the case for the summit's uh, success. In addition, it was a conscious decision to not just stay away from Delhi, but also from the other usual North Indian locations like Agra to keep the expectations as low as possible. But beyond the theatrics, what were actually discussed? Now, uh, the Foreign Secretary Vijay Gokhale addressed the press after the culmination of the talks and indicated that the two dignitaries did not discuss about the state of Jammu and Kashmir at all. The secretary repeated that India continues to view JNK as a domestic issue. Now, everybody was thinking that uh, Xi Jinping would actually raise this point uh, face-to-face with Modi, and Modi might have to uh, keep repeating the uh, often repeated line that JNK is a domestic issue and we do not encourage any third-party intervention in this. But luckily, this time around, China did not even bring up uh, this point at all. Now, the big, uh, actually, the biggest takeaway was not even Jammu and Kashmir. The biggest takeaway for India was the fact that the two countries agreed to set up a high-level group on trade, investment, and manufacturing to tackle the ever-increasing trade deficit. In fact, uh, Mohal, if you notice, uh, despite uh, uh, these noises being made right from Manmohan Singh's uh, government and even uh, Narendra Modi 1.0, uh, that uh, the trade deficit is very, very high and uh, steps need to be taken to correct it. 
yeah. the trade deficit has only been increasing in the opposite direction mm-hmm. uh, for all these years. Yeah, and I think even uh, during uh, the Narendra Modi's term, mm-hmm. I saw a statistic somewhere that it was uh, somewhere around uh, 25 billion when he took office and it has ballooned to double of that to around 50 billion a few years ago and i think today i think it's like 57 or 53 billion so it has doubled under just uh, pre- uh, one prime minister modi's term and uh, i think it's becoming more and more of a concern as the days go by absolutely yeah so in the regard it was agreed further that india's finance minister nirmala sitaraman would discuss modalities with the chinese counterpart hu chunhua to come up with measures to bring the deficit down bilateral trade uh, mohal you were mentioning this uh, between china and india actually reached 95 billion in 2018 with the trade deficit being at 53 billion in china's favor and this in fact is the biggest that india has with any country now uh, and also that- one more thing i think it's almost like 35% of our overall deficit with all nations combined if i re- if i read it correctly recently phenomenal phenomenal no wonder no wonder people do keep making noise about it okay yeah. <laughs> okay so india beyond beyond the trade deficit india also managed to get a nod from china with regards to the rcep agreement and the need for the free trade agreement to be balanced for it to be more palatable to india now uh, how will it pan out in the days to come weeks to come and the years to come we don't know but at least india has managed to Uh, get uh, the ears of china and china now understands that india finds some issues with the uh, the proposed uh, free trade agreement it needs to be seen how they tackle this forward now again uh, we have already mentioned that uh, china didn't uh, raise the issue of jammu and kashmir now uh, while it is obvious that china has made enough noise globally harming india's interests by siding with pakistan Xi Jinping didn't bring it up for discussion with Modi. One possible reason for this could have been the fact that the Minister for External Affairs, Subramaniam Jaisankar, had recently visited Beijing and had appraised them of India's stand on Jammu and Kashmir. Again, uh, Mohal I did uh, point it out uh, that uh, during uh, Xi's visit to Ahmedabad in 2014, mm-hmm. uh, there was an incursion uh, from the Chinese troops. Uh, in Ladakh, and Modi was quick to point out that uh, PLA and uh, Xi Jinping do not always look eye to eye. Now, Indrani Bakshi noted in one of her reports today that uh, Modi continues to see this dichotomy, where Xi speaks one language while his administration speaks another. Now, the same template was also played out during Dolam crisis, and the informal summit was proposed. to actually address such tricky issues in an informal manner so that that is yeah, how I, the origins of this mm-hmm. uh, informal summit came up that also shows the sort of the schizophrenic nature of chinese diplomacy so i think uh, if you just look over the past one or two weeks i mean we had uh, sort of uh, diverging statements on uh, the issue of kashmir from uh, china where one hand they mentioned like a more pro india statement and then when the they had visits from uh, pakistan by imran khan the the tune quickly changes matter within a 
just within the matter of a few days. So right. I think this just shows that they cannot be trusted because they could quickly change a position within a few hours. Totally, right? totally. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So uh, Xi Jinping also did not raise the issue of uh, Huawei being considered for 5G proposals in India. Uh, India will have to address this issue sometime in the near future whenever it would decide on whether to permit the Chinese telecom infrastructure giant to set up 5G networks in the country. Mind you, this decision, whenever taken, has the ability to either alleviate or strain the bilateral ties in the future. Uh, already they have given threat that if you don't allow Huawei to participate, mm-hmm. uh, there'll be repercussions or, uh, you know, it won't be good for it. So they already threatened us. And and on the other side, the US has already uh, scared all its allies to mm-hmm. claim that uh, Huawei obviously involves in uh, spying activity. Yeah. And uh, if and when any of their allies actually uh, allow uh, Huawei to set up 5G mm-hmm. networks, it would amount to a serious compromise in national security. So India will have to uh, handle this delicately and will have to take a call on whether to allow Huawei to come in or not. But I, I think we have done it to some sort and I think we must give the credit of the bureaucracy. And I don't know whether it's by design or not, because as you know, with the bureaucracy in India takes forever, a million years to decide on any mm-hmm. small matter. And this is a pretty big strategic concern. Right. So what I read recently was that I think Airtel and Geo they have already started trials with uh, Nokia and Ericsson and I believe even Samsung, Samsung in the case of uh, Geo. So I guess the by not deciding for or against Huawei, the government has sort of forced the hands of the operators that they can't keep waiting forever to see whether Huawei would be uh, allowed into the participation. So they go on ahead with this Korean and uh, European vendors to do 5G trials. So if we just keep it in limbo, I guess it will just die a natural death. Mm-hmm. So I don't know whether we can give credit to the bureaucrats mm-hmm. or maybe it's just like we take damn too long to make any decision. But I guess if Huawei is excluded in the long term by not making a decision, I'm all for it. <laughs> hope so, hope so. <laughs> yeah. So so sometimes we, all, we, we always give a lot of uh, bad mouthing of the Indian bureaucracy, but this is where slow working Indian bureaucracy might work to our advantage. Even uh, even uh, stuck clock is right twice a day wall. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Moving on. So at a more generic level, uh, both the leaders agreed to stay away from making damaging statements regarding the other country. And this was an obvious reference to both Hong Kong and Jammu and Kashmir. But we have seen many instances earlier when India held up its end of the bargain uh, by not uh, raising the issue of Tibet or Xinjiang or Taiwan or Hong Kong, but whereas uh, China was more than willing to break its end of the promise, uh, example being uh, Jammu and Kashmir or Arunachal Pradesh and uh, many such examples. So again, it would not be surprising if China would not live up to its end of the bargain in the future also. Now, uh, to conclude, my take on the whole path from Wuhan spirit to Chennai Connect has been the manner in which there had been very less traction from April 2018 until now. 
there are two extremely popular leaders within their two nations, and it is this which aids them to harden their position on almost all aspects of discussion, be it terrorism, trade deficit, security, border disputes. By virtue of digging their heels, they stand up strong and straight with the sole purpose of projecting powerful versions of themselves. All bonhomie and smile apart, there is still a long way to go before we turn the relationship substantial. For now, both sides continue to parrot the same lines that we agree to not let the differences turn into disputes. Having said that, should we scrap those? Uh, should we scrap these informal summits also? Of course not. This is the only available avenue now for both the countries to stay engaged. Such engagements help the two nations understand the uh, other's position, what and where are the red lines, and what are the potential areas of cooperation. Slowly but surely, the informal summits are actually gaining traction. After all, Xi has invited Modi to China next year for the third edition of the informal summit. The proof of the pudding lies in not how many informal summits do these two leaders have, but in what tangible results do these summits achieve? Uh, Mohal, yeah. in conclusion, uh, you have anything to add in terms of takeaway? Yeah, so I think uh, taking forward the point that you made mm -hmm. that we might not have uh, huge, massive changes in foreign policy or results from these summits, but it's best to at least keep talking because it keeps the temperatures low and uh, unlike like what happened during the Dolam standoff, because there is no other alternative to talking. I don't think India or China would want to go to a war to resolve its uh, boundary disputes uh, or in the other domains. Now, uh, I think one word that a lot of the diplomats have used is like how to manage the relations. I think this is more of like how to manage the relations despite the obvious dis differences on trade and boundary disputes and etc. So what we're trying to see, like both the leaders are trying to uh, see like how they can uh, discuss their path forward for their nations, their aspirations and their future goals and try to educate the other side about uh, the same that what are the what is the future for china what is the future for india and just so that the other side has a better understanding mm -hmm. uh, of this uh, whole process and it is less likely that they would have misconceptions arise which would lead to the ties being more strained in the future now obviously uh, discussing your aspirations and goals doesn't go anywhere towards resolving our, our disputes, which will still be require a lot of long, hard work to resolve this, but at least it's better than not talking. So I know there are a lot of critics of these summits which say like, why even are they even meeting if nothing major comes out, right. but I guess it's better than not talking at all. Uh, only one caveat I have is like, like the, Supporters of this informal summit should not go to town like uh, over advertising the benefits gained from this because obviously there are no major ones, but it's not as if it's a useless summit altogether. So to quote from like what uh, Indrani Bakshi's article on this summit was, and I quote, so the Modi Ji summit cannot be plucked out of the current international context both the countries find themselves in. Xi and his delegation attend 
sessions this weekend was divided between uh, a summit in Tamil Nadu and Washington DC in US where China's chief negotiator Liu He met with his US counterparts to achieve a bare bones uh, trade agreement or as president trump called it phase 1 of the trade deal mm-hmm. now the deal whatever it is eases the pressure on china and the us it may give ji the room he wants to wait out the trump administration and see what the 2020 us presidential elections bring to the white house before attempting a reset now the mea press statement issued at the end of the summit uh states that leaders shared the view that the international situation is witnessing significant readjustment as the us china divide sharpens and it promises to outlive trump powers like india will try to do two things utilize the space to maneuver itself into a pole in what will necessarily be a multipolar world while trying to balance all sides this is the ultimate seductive lure of india's foreign policy to its practitioners which has always delivered suboptimum results but never fails to find adherence within the system in one of his speeches in washington which is now dubbed as the full jay shankar uh, india's foreign minister said that the almost simultaneous japan U- india us trilateral and the india china russia trilateral meetings denoted some kind of equivalence the country that fares the best is the one which has the least problems with his peer group and the broadest acceptance and beyond uh, he said china understands well that the implications of india tilt the us and the west even if many indians don't there will all this will always color china's actions vis-a-vis india because they are the practitioners of real politic India can use the Chinese challenge to step on the gas to reform its economy and unshackle enterprise and agriculture which will have added advantage of giving it more elbow room as global politics as readjust to a new reality uh, China is India's most important neighbor and its most complex relationship what we saw in Chennai this weekend was a fantastic display of spectacle symmetry Modi and Xi go back with a better understanding of each other and their priorities their strategic communications has gotten stronger and perhaps deeper how will how this will transform the daily politics of two rising powers remain to be seen in court so i think this was a good brief description which i read verbatim from uh, indrani bakchi on the summit so any concluding thoughts kishor Uh, i think you were right in telling that uh, it had to be looked at from a global context now obviously india and china will have to uh, uh, keep talking to each other despite mm-hmm. uh, how uh, the us india relationship or the or the us china relationship uh, pan out and mm-hmm. uh, obviously those two bilaterals will also have a bearing on the india china relationship as well so mm-hmm. again uh, us will be the elephant in the room whenever india and china keep talking mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. another point uh, mm-hmm. sorry another point uh, was uh, whether uh, whether do we have to continue talking uh, with china or not is yes, the fact mm-hmm. that it helps uh, for india to actually put forth its perspective uh, whenever there are any differences between india and pakistan 
Now, obviously, Pakistan will be the first one to run to Beijing to uh, <laughs> talk about its perspective mm-hmm. and explain to Beijing about uh, how it feels about uh, any any actions committed by India. And uh, by virtue of not talking, uh, India will lose out on that uh, opportunity to explain to Beijing as to what has been its uh, viewpoint and what has been its thought process on uh, doing whatever it thought was wise enough to do. So I think these kind of uh, engagements, these kind of informal summits will allow the two leaders to actually discuss uh, whenever there is a need and also to allow India to explain its perspective. Mohal? Yeah, I think uh, you brought up a good point on the Kashmir issue. So I think Imran Khan must have made a lot of noise in Beijing when he visited just before uh, Xi's visit. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting that Kashmir, I mean, as per the Indian reports, we don't know like, like if Chinese side will eventually confirm or will never even confirm that Kashmir was not even brought up. So that brings into perspective that uh, Pakistan might try to make as much noise as possible. But even there sort of iron brother is not willing to discuss that directly in one-on-one the highest level possible talks with India. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it was not just a report. It was actually uh, Foreign Secretary Vijay Gokhale himself uh, clarifying in the press uh, briefing. But then, mm-hmm. yeah, I get your point. Uh, point being that uh, China mm-hmm. is not willing to stand up uh, yeah. uh, whenever it is confronted with uh, India. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think even China with his distractions in uh, Hong Kong and the trade deal uh, sees that it needs to, I think that was the part of the, even the why the Wuhan summit was committed because back then we also had North Korea and with its nuclear testing, uh, there were just too many uncertainties in the global realm that it just didn't want another uh, situation. Plus the South China Sea obviously is always a uh, festering issue. Hmm. It didn't want the the border issue with India to uh, take up mo- most of its time while it deals with uh, all these other regional uncertainties. So it just wanted to sort of uh, not, a, I would say, secure its border, but at least make peace somewhere. So they see no harm in talking. The worry I have is like once China regains its strength and maybe some of these issues in the, let's say, the South China Sea or the trade will dissipate, will they? Uh, take a more hawkish stance towards India uh, within. So at least for now, there would be like more sort of a peace at the border. I mean, we can have all this, uh, uh, what you call the confidence building measures where we have more uh, strategic communication down to the soldier level, Hmm. but it doesn't mean that the Chinese will stop incursions into our area, you know, sort of. So I mean, only time will tell how how fruitful these summits go uh, going forward. At least it helps maintain some peace and tranquility uh, for India. Because in the long run, like the three major dominant players in the world are going to be like by the middle of the century will be India, China and US. Hmm. So we have to play this balancing game where we uh, kind of uh, make sure that we don't, we have good relations with both while uh, trying to grow internally to become uh, a bigger power on the world stage. Totally agree. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, I guess, uh, before we wind up this episode, uh, let's switch our focus to the recommendations. So Kishore, what's your recommendation for this week? Uh, actually, yeah. Uh, just before we started uh, recording for this podcast, uh, I was looking at that uh, YouTube video, uh, put out by uh, strategic news international. 
where uh, Nitin Gokhale was actually interviewing former ambassador uh, Gautam Bambawale, former ambassador to China. And mm-hmm. he was actually mentioning about uh, five key takeaways from uh, the Chennai Connect. Yeah. That was actually a good uh, uh, 15 minute uh, video clipping, which kind of explained uh, what can, what are the key takeaways for India from uh, the informal summit. So I would recommend that to our uh, listeners. And uh, Mohal, your recommendation? Yeah, 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 that was a good recommendation. Uh, I would just recommend uh, Indrani Bakchi's article from which I quoted like around four paragraphs. Mm-hmm. I think that's a good takeaway on where the things stand on India-China relations and uh, regarding this summit overall. Mm-hmm. So uh, with that, we come to end of this week's episode where we covered in, I believe, like your extensive detail, not only on the informal summit between Xi Jinping and Narendra Modi in China, but also a broad overall picture or overarching picture of India-China relations yes. in, uh, and also the summit in Chennai. So now to continue hearing about such interesting topics, uh, please do subscribe to our channel India Rising uh, wherever you are listening to us. If you have not left us a review, we urge you to do so as it helps other listeners like you in finding us. Uh, Also, please do uh, share and subscribe this and uh, so we can get more viewers. Uh, We would also like to hear from you if you have any suggestions on any topics that you would like us to cover. Do remember that these topics should be directly uh, related to Indian foreign policy. Uh, This is uh, Mohal and Kishore signing off for this week. Mm -hmm.